Welcome to Douglas Wilson's The Plodcast. This audio is brought to you by Canon Press. It's November, which means it's no quarter November over at Blog and May Blog. If you want to keep up with all that's happening during no quarter November, make sure you subscribe to the blog podcasts at Blog and May Blog, wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to the Plodcast, episode 166. This is Plodcast 166. In case you thought you're somewhere else, you are not. This is where you are. So, uh, as it happens, I'm recording uh, this. Well, I record four of these things at a time. So, uh, once a month, I record for the next uh, four weeks out. And um, the first of the four, uh, well, all four, are being recorded the day before election day. So. This is November 2nd, and tomorrow's election day, and tomorrow we will have a good idea of what, almost certainly we'll have a good idea of what went down, but right now, I don't know. So, you're going to have to, if you want uh, color commentary on the election uh, from me, you're not going to be able to find it here, because uh, over the next four weeks, it's all going to be, I'm going to be speaking from behind this veil of ignorance, and you will not know whether I'm chortling or lamenting until a month from now, or you'll have to check some other place, my blog or something. But that's how the podcast works. We put four in the can, and then uh, that's why some of them are extraordinarily timely, and others seem dated, maybe. A little, slightly aged, like a day-old donut. Well, either way. So, I, I, even though the election is tomorrow, I want to talk about the election either way. In, in other words, either Trump is going to be reelected or Biden is going to be elected. Let's start with Biden being elected. If Biden is elected, it will be a singular event because he is probably the worst candidate in the last 200 years. Uh, it's just just a terrible candidate. And if you lose to the terrible candidate, that means that you ha- are <laughs> in some respect more terrible. You, you, uh, uh, you might want to argue the point, but at least if you, if you can't persuade tens of millions of people that you are less terrible than the most terrible candidate in the last couple hundred years, then you've got a messaging uh, problem. So, um, I would say that if Biden wins, uh, following David Bonson uh, here, uh, if Biden wins, I don't think this will be an affirmation, uh, America's affirmation of the wonders of hard left uh, policies or socialism, although it will be taken that way and although it will be implemented that way. I don't think um, it would be so much an endorsement of everything Biden is uh, enthralled to, so much as it would be a rejection of Donald Trump's um, brash personality. Going the other way, if Donald Trump is reelected, I don't think it will be an endorsement of Donald Trump's brash personality so much as it is a rejection of the policies of the left. In other words, we've got the question before America right now is which do you dislike more? Do you dislike the uh, policies of the left, which would include the um, willingness to riot when you don't get what you want? It would be, it would include 
all the lockdowns, masking everybody. Do you dislike that more than you like uh, dislike Trump's mean tweets? Or going the other way, uh, do you dislike Trump's manners and his mean tweets more than you dislike the, uh, the policies that Biden promises to bring in? Obviously, nobody uh, knows the future for, for certain, and presidential elections are, are notoriously squirrely. And uh, the pundits, the people involved in commenting, are not referees with black and white striped shirts, and neither are the pollsters. Uh, the journalists are players. The pollsters are players. The people who make predictions are not just, they're not sitting on a, a balcony far above the fray. They're not sitting on one of the balconies of heaven looking down at this thing, trying to get, you know, as an intellectual game, trying to guess who's going to win as simply an intellectual exercise. No, virtually everyone, including the people that predict and including the people who want to predict honestly, have to understand that they are predicting from the middle of the game and predictions help affect the outcome of the game. Again, it's not just simply a matter of referees calling, calling fouls, but everything you do has an impact. So let's say there's a poll that says that Biden is going to take it in double digits, walking, Biden's going to take it walking away. Well, that could either have the uh, impact of depressing Trump's turnout, or it could have the impact of motiv motivating Trump's turnout, but it's going to have some sort of impact. It's not just a, a free bit of information. And the same thing is true going the other way. I, I said all this so that you know that I'm aware of uh, what I would prefer to have happen. I would prefer that Trump win over Biden. I voted already in an, uh, last week in early voting here in Idaho. Uh, and I voted for Trump, which is something I never thought I'd do. Back in 2016, I didn't think I was going to, I didn't think that was going to happen, but it did. And um, I voted for Trump and didn't um, have any problem sleeping that night, you know, so there you go. So that's, that's uh, the outcome I would prefer. Having said that, uh, that's also the outcome that I think is going to happen. I, th I think that uh, Trump is going to win. And I believe that he is going to win in an electoral landslide. And uh, I'm not, not as sure on the popular vote, but I think he's going to do uh, much better there than expected as well. So that's my, uh, that's my prediction, such as it is. I don't think we can trust all the, uh, all the commentary and all the, all the smoke that's surrounding this thing. So we'll see. Uh, after a month or so, uh, I will... Um, come back and say, you know, sort of uh, tooting my own little horn saying, see what I predicted, or I will come back suitably abashed and say, you know, I just didn't see it coming, but I qualified it. I didn't, I also said I didn't know for sure, but that's what I think. Continuing with um, podcast episode 166, we uh, continue our study of homartiology because, of course, the word bia B-I-A, the word bia, means violence, and we have a handful of uses in Scripture. The first use we encounter is a negative use. Then went the captain with the officers, this is from Acts 5.26, then went the captain with the officers and brought them without violence, for they feared the people, lest they should have been stoned. So, this was a tense situation. Uh, the reason they arrested uh, the apostles 
without violence is that they themselves were afraid of violence. They feared the people. So uh, it was a tense situation. It was a situation that uh, was fully capable of exploding. So um, the, the men brought the apostles back without violence. In other words, the apostles were arrested quietly and undue force was not used. On another occasion, when Paul was accosted in the temple courts, the phrase without violence could not be used there. Paul was rescued by Roman soldiers who had an outpost in one corner of the temple for just such exigencies. So the temple complex was a huge rectangle. On the long side of the rectangle, the temple was right next to that long side. If I were drawing this on a, on a blackboard for you, I'd draw this big sideways rectangle. Down the left side would be um, Solomon's Colonnade. In the upper uh, middle of the, um, of the long part of the rectangle would be the temple proper. And then in the upper right corner was a little Roman garrison, a little Roman uh, fortress. And so uh, they, they had soldiers stationed on the temple grounds for just such circumstances. And when the, when the people saw Paul and, and assumed uh, wrongly that he had brought a Gentile into the holy place, uh, into the place reserved for Jews. They uh, raised a tumult, began rioting. And so uh, the Romans came down, whisked Paul away, and uh, they were t- carrying him back up the stairs, back into the Roman garrison. And when he came upon the stairs, so it was that he was born of the soldiers for the violence of the people. That's Acts twenty-one thirty-five. In other words, the people are so mad, so angry, uh, so intent on maiming or killing Paul that the soldiers had to carry him uh, because the people were so violent. But this was not the perspective of those who were rioting. They thought they were being quite reasonable. Later, they complained about how their prey had been taken away from them. Uh, in Acts 24-7, but the chief captain, Lysias, came upon us and with great violence took him away out of our hands. The violent mob, in other words, thought that the Roman rescuers were too violent. We were peacefully engaged in tearing Paul limb from limb, and the Romans came, and with great violence, they took him away from us. There is one other uh, use of this word, uh, one that doesn't describe a sin, but it helps us understand the nature of the word, even when it is talking about sin. So this, is, um, this will help us uh, contextualize the word. In Acts 27.41, it says, in falling into a place where the two seas met, they ran the ship aground, and the forepart stuck fast and remained unmovable, but the hinder part was broken with the violence of the waves. So think of a, a storm at sea. Think of agitated, tumultuous waves crashing together, and that's your picture. That's the word that's used, and you can see why it would be applied to a rioting crowd when they, when they were trying to take Paul. So, there you go, Bia, violence. So, our book review, this uh, episode, which uh, incidentally, this is episode 166 in the podcast. The book I want to talk about is um, a new release by Canon Press. It's a book by Glenn Sunshine, and it's called Slaying Leviathan. Slaying Leviathan. And this has to do, uh, basically, it's a history of Christian resistance theology, and then later, more explicitly, Protestant resistance theology as it developed 
down through the history of the church. Glenn Sunshine is a historian, a very meticulous, careful historian, and this book is wonderful. Uh, I would encourage you to read it in concert with um, Vindicii Contra Tyrannos, which I think I've, I've reviewed uh, here before. That was written by a, um, an anonymous Huguenot who wrote under the pen name of Junius Brutus, A Vindication of Liberty Against Tyrants, Vindicii Contra Tyrannos. Glenn Sunshine uh, wrote the introduction for that book that Canon Press has just re-released, and then he has written this history of Christian-slash-Protestant resistance theology, resistance theory, resistance theology. And uh, given how crazy the year 2020 has been, and given how much nonsense has been spoken in Christian circles, about Romans 13 and 1 Peter 2, the appearance of this book is about as timely as it gets. If you want to think the way Christians have thought and how Christian thought has developed over the course of 2,000 years, in many circumstances comparable to ours, some of them much, much rougher than ours, and some of them much more placid than ours, but if you want to see how Christian theology, how our brothers and sisters over the years have interacted with the text over the centuries, and see how your thought lines up with that, and weigh and consider their arguments as they come back to the scriptures to say, well, see, this is what we should do in this circumstance, or this is how, how we should respond there. This is the biblical pattern. One of the things that you'll see in, um, in Vindicii, and I think you'll recognize it also in Glenn Sunshine's uh, treatment of the history of this, is how word-centered our forefathers have been. Uh, in, in other words, there's much more in Scripture about uh, our, our relationship to the existing authorities than just Romans 13. We've got the Old Testament, remember? We have uh, a lot of material to work with. There's a, there's a huge quarry out there that we can get a lot of rock out of. And I think we should get some rock out of there because we're going to need to build ourselves a castle here pretty soon. Oh, I should say uh, something about the title. Many people, many Americans particularly, when they hear the word king, they automatically just go into a divine right of kings mode of thought. But the divine right of kings was a late development. King David didn't hold to a divine right of kings. Uh, basically, a late development in the late medieval, in the, uh, well, I'll, I'll put it this way, in the early modern period, you had the rise of absolutism. And basically, absolutism is Leviathan. And Glenn is keying off of Thomas Hobbes' book. Thomas Hobbes was arguing for absolutist civil government, and he wrote his book, Leviathan. Christian political theory has always been at war with Leviathan, has always been at war with absolute government. And the reason is, is uh, not we don't have to search far to find the reason. The reason is because Christians confess that Jesus is Lord. If Jesus is Lord, then Caesar isn't. If Jesus is the absolute Lord, then Caesar isn't. Get this book. Good book. Mm -hmm.